Hi, Explorers. Thanks for listening to Kids Who Explore Parent Edition. Come along with us as we cover all corners of raising kids in the outdoors. I'm Adriana Scori, a Canadian Rockies hiking, adventure, and travel mom to my two-year-old Turner and newborn baby Nash, and founder and CEO of Kids Who Explore. I'm Lauren Rodick-Eberly, mama to Collins and Deacon. We love exploring between our two homes in Alberta, Canada and Washington State, USA. Today's Kids Who Explore podcast is sponsored by Keen Footwear, one of our favorite brands for outdoor shoes. Picking the perfect outdoor play shoe has proven to be quite the task from time to time. There are so many features to take into consideration when picking the perfect play shoe, such as being machine washable for those muddy adventures and how well your little one is able to independently put their shoes on and take them off. Keen has endless outdoor play shoe options, such as the Notch Hollow Sneaker and the Targi Sport Vent Sneaker, and not just for kids, but options for the whole family. To find the perfect outdoor shoe for your next adventure, visit www.keenfootwear.com. That's K-E-E-N footwear.com. I have the pleasure of welcoming Janelle Thomas back to the podcast, better known as Coach Nelly. She has more than 20 years of experience coaching under her belt. In 2018, she started Raising Little Rippers, where she has created an educational resource for adventurous mamas, raising the next generation of big mountain skiers. Last episode with Coach Nelly, we just scraped the surface on easier access to ski gear. So we wanted to dive even deeper into this topic today. Thanks for coming on again, Coach Nelly. Thank you for having me again. I'm definitely going to link up that blog post that you shared about how to ski on a budget, but I just wanted to read something you wrote from there that I really loved. You said, as a family of five, we have always lived off of one income, often below the poverty level, and yet we have skied every season. Over the years, I've had to get real creative to make this happen, and along the way, I've discovered how to save thousands of dollars when it comes to skiing with your family. So what that shows me is how important and the payoff of skiing has been for your family and that you're willing to find ways to make it happen no matter what. Is that right? This is very true. And it seems like season after season, I'm, you know, diving into my toolbox to try to figure out how to make it happen. But where there's a will, there is a way. And it's so nice that you do that for other families, because then when you share your knowledge, it just makes it that much easier for them. Absolutely. I know we talked last time about how a lot of our adventure families start skiing with their kids as young as two years old, or maybe even sometimes a little younger. Let's start talking about that age and then kind of work our way up. What are your thoughts on finding gear for that age and which gear is actually necessary? So one of the things I wanted to talk about is the two pieces of equipment that you definitely don't want to skimp on in terms of maybe things being too large or too small or not fitting just right. And that goes for all ages from littles all the way up and that is the helmet and their ski boots and ski boots with the really little ones can be very tricky because one it can be hard to find them as small as you need them and two their feet are growing so quickly it's very tempting to grab hand-me-downs that might be a little too big and throw a couple extra pairs of socks in there hoping it'll fit But of all the gear you're going to need and use, I highly recommend always making sure ski boots fit just right for that season. And the reason that's so important is because our boot is our only attachment to our ski, and we need to be able to move and manipulate the ski in a comfortable way in order to stay in control. And if the boot is too big and floppy or the foot is moving around inside that boot, it makes it so much harder to have control over the ski, especially the edges. And that can be really frustrating for a little guy because they don't really understand why they're struggling 
struggling and mom and dad might not even really understand why they're struggling. It could be something as simple as their ski boots a little too big. So one of the things I recommend, because again, it can be hard to fit a ski boot on a two or three-year-old who maybe isn't very good at describing exactly how it feels or don't know exactly how it should feel. So a good thing to do is pull the boot liner out of the inside of the boot and try that on their foot because from there you can actually feel their toes. Always have them stand up and slide their heel to the back of the liner. And then you want to make sure that there's maybe a little space because just like your regular shoe, we don't want to cramp the toes, but not not too much space that their foot slides around. Does that make sense? You just blew my mind. I was like, that's the greatest <laughs> hack ever. <laughs> it's a really great hack and not a lot of people know the liner can come out of the boot. I will say they can be a little difficult to get back in, but they will go back in and it's totally worth pulling them out. Okay. And normally would you just be wearing one pair of wool socks? in your boots? Yeah. Yeah. My second recommendation for the boots is um, the socks. It's good to stick a good quality ski sock in a boot. And that's generally going to be made out of wool. Those are the best or some sort of synthetic. You definitely don't want to throw a cotton sock in a ski boot because it is going to get moist and it's not going to dry. And that can cause some really cold feet. I have seen parents sometimes very concerned about their kids' feet getting too cold. And so they'll layer two pairs of socks. And I can say, that that actually does not help. If anything, it might do the opposite. It tends to cut off the circulation, which makes the foot cold in the long run. So one pair of quality ski socks is just enough. Interesting. Is that true for all things winter? Like if you did two pairs of wool socks in a winter boot? I would think so, unless that boot tends to be extra, extra large and you've got plenty of room. Yeah, you're. there is such a thing as getting too much pressure in there, you know, inside that boot with the socks and the liner. And it's not so much an issue of sweating. It's more an issue of cutting off the circulation. Oh my goodness. Okay. We're, we're just starting and I'm already amazed with all this info. <laughs> we could really keep going and going and going. Yes. Okay. So great tips. We now know for all ages. So that's important too. When you're starting at two years old, make sure they have good ski boots and a good helmet. Yes. So let's talk about the helmet. Helmet is super important that it fits correctly. And that means that you want to make sure it fits the shape of the head and also fits the head while wearing the goggles. So I have two recommendations. The first is that you, if you want to order a helmet online, which we often do because we can find really good deals online, try going to a store first and trying on different brands because different brands, the liner is formed to different shape heads. So like in my family, we've kind of got three different shapes of head. And so we really can't share helmets because what fits one person doesn't fit the other. But different brands, if you find the brand that is comfortable, then you could go online and see if you can find a better deal. But I do recommend trying it on at the store first. I also recommend bringing the goggles with you because what we have discovered year and year again through trial and error is that not all brand goggles fit with all brand helmets. So we've had a really nice pair of goggles, went and bought a helmet without taking the goggles and came home and the two did not fit together. So then we either had to get a new helmet or we had to get new goggles. So I always recommend taking the goggles with you and trying them on with the helmet. Again, you have made the mistakes and figured out all the things so other people don't have to. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Trial and error works really well. 
Even a little two-year-old, will they be using goggles? Toddlers can be a little tricky with goggles. I recommend you buy them and have them on hand because the process of teaching them to wear them can take some time, but you can't go through that process if you don't have them available. So have them available, make sure they're comfortable with the helmet, and then know that, you know, getting them to wear their goggles could be a process. They might just have them on top of their helmet for a little while, and maybe you pull them down, you know, for a few seconds every 10 minutes just to look through them and see if it changes the color of the snow. That's always a good tip. Kids like to have reason to put their goggles on. So, you know, most lenses are colored and if you can show them that it changes the color of things around them, sometimes that's a fun reason to put them down. But yeah, I do recommend goggles for all ages because it's part of the equipment that does help to keep us safe. You know, protecting our eyes is really important. And when we're going down the hill and it's windy and there's snow coming into our eyes, if we can't see well enough, you know, that's when accidents can happen. So start from the beginning and then just know that it may be a process for actually getting those on the head full time. Yeah. Even with swimming right now with my two-year-old, she wants them on for a little bit so she can dive down and see like the little fish on the bottom and then off and then back on. (laughs) So yeah, I I find with toddlers that's Yeah, that's pretty normal. That's just all part of the learning process. They're doing the same thing as us, you know, trial and error. They want to learn why to wear them and what they're good for. Yeah. And get comfortable with them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about renting and secondhand and all those things, but I know when we had our bike expert on, he was saying no secondhand helmets. What is your policy and thoughts on that? Especially, I guess, if you are renting and then you're using a helmet, how does that all work? Right. You know, if you're renting a helmet, you really don't know how it's been treated. The rental shops are pretty good at replacing helmets regularly. That's not something they keep for years and years, but they don't know when a helmet comes back, whether or not, you know, it's been crashed, hit you know, thrown on the ground. So the issue with using a used helmet is you really don't know if it's going to be as effective as you want it to be. Matter of fact, you'll have a hard time finding a lot of resale stores that will sell helmets. I would be surprised if the rental shops actually sell off their helmets, they probably get rid of them. But that being said, we've passed around helmets within our own family and friend group because Then we knew how the helmet had been treated. It hadn't been in any bad accidents. So I think that's, you know, it kind of depends on your scenario. But, you know, the best case scenario is to have a new helmet or relatively new helmet um, that, you know, at least has been well taken care of. Okay, very good to know. For kids and then I guess also adults for that matter, overall, would you recommend renting or buying gear, especially if they're avid skiers? And if you're renting, then I guess you also have the option of full season rentals versus renting each time. What's your thoughts on all that? Right. So I think it really depends on how much you're going to be going up. Having your own gear just makes getting onto the mountain so much easier. If you're just going on a ski trip or maybe you're going to only go up a couple times a season, you know, taking the extra time to go into the rental shop isn't that big of a deal, but doing that regularly just exhausts everybody. So I find it actually deters me from wanting to go up when we don't have all the equipment. So I do recommend if you're going to go regularly, you know, or if this is something you're going to invest in and do as a family season after season, it's worth investing in the gear. However, there are a lot of local rental shops that do have seasonal rentals. And for kids, that's generally not a bad idea because they're going to grow out of their equipment so quickly. So 
some rental shops will do a deal where if you buy new equipment from them, you can bring it back the next year and basically trade it in and get credit towards more new equipment. Or you have shops that just do seasonal rentals. So you're borrowing rental gear, but you check it out for the entire season. You get to take it home and you don't bring it back till the end of the season. The big difference between those two is going to be quality of gear. So if you're doing a seasonal rental, you're going to get rental gear, which tends to be kind of on the lower end. Um, for younger kids, that's really not a big deal. Um, if you have a kid that's really progressing into some more um, higher intermediate or advanced skills or going into the train part, it might be worth actually doing the trade-in where you buy a little bit nicer gear and then you get credit for it at the end of the season. So it's really personal preference. There is going to come a point where it's worth, especially if you have more than one child, it's worth buying some new equipment and handing it down. That generally happens, I think, though, once kids get to kind of the intermediate ski ability, you know, through those beginner years, um, rental equipment works just fine. With your kids, have you found you've even been able to pass down the ski boots and everything? Yes, actually, yeah. we've been able to pass down pretty much everything but helmets. Those are a really hard one to pass down because of the different shape of heads. Um so yeah, I mean, we've passed down ski boots, ski socks, base layers, jackets, pants, you know, you name it. If you're lucky enough to have kids that are, you know, far enough apart in age that you can just keep panning it down. Unfortunately, the youngest, you know, always gets to use gear, but right. <laughs> that's just how it is, right? The well-loved gear. As yeah. an adult who really use, I know you really used your gear every season. How often do you find you need new gear? Because you're not changing in size, but more just wearing out everything. Right. So for the adults, you know, for my husband and I, I would say that we sacrificed our gear for many, many years because we were constantly, you know, trying to restock the kids, but we've gotten to a point now where the kids are slowing down in their growth. So they're keeping the same equi equipment for several years. And lucky me, I got a new pair of skis. Let's see, I've had them three seasons now. And that was the first pair of skis I had had in 15 years. <laughs> Wow. So it's proof if you buy good equipment, it will last yes. a really long time. Yes, and actually, I love the skis I was on, but I changed because my ski ability changed and the terrain I was skiing changed. And that kind of goes into ski size and choosing the type of ski. I actually wrote a blog recently, children's ski size, everything you need to know and didn't know to ask. Because there are some little things that you might not think about. I actually went with a shorter ski because we were skiing the trees a lot more than we ever used to. And I was on a longer race ski. So you can imagine there's a big difference between a long, stiff race ski and a shorter, more flexible all mountain ski in the trees. I'm having a lot more fun. Okay. I'm going to link that post up too. You have the best resource. I will be sure to make, I'll make sure I catch that one. It's one of my favorites and probably one of my most read blog posts. Okay. Amazing. So last time you also touched on ski swaps and secondhand options. Do you find one of those better than the other or if people are wanting to go easy on their wallets and the environment, should they try to do both? You know, when I have been most desperate to really save money, I do both. The seasons that I'm really trying to stick in a tight budget, I'll go to the thrift stores several times, even off season. Like this time of year seems like an odd time to go look for ski equipment, but a lot of it's going to be on sale because they're trying to get rid of it before the new stuff comes in. But there is kind of a difference. You know, the, the ski swaps are great. You'll find a lot of gear at a ski swap. Like you could 
literally walk into a ski swap and probably grab everything on your list that you need that season. But it's kind of crazy madness at a ski swap. And matter of fact, it's one of those things you want to arrive as early as you can because it's first come first serve and people are looking for deals. So things are flying off the shelf and they go real fast. And there may be only a couple ski sizes in your child's size you know, that you have to choose from. So you want to get there and see what you have and and pick from the lot before everyone else does. Where the thrift stores, you know, you can peruse those all season long and even off season. And if you live in a town that's full of recreation, or if you have a ski resort close by, those secondhand stores and thrift stores, I have find some amazing deals. I've walked out of a thrift store with brand new base layers that still had the tag on them for five dollars oh my goodness so if you're willing to put the time in yeah if you're willing to put the time in the deals are out there yeah do you have specific stores like maybe bigger name stores that would be in a multiple different states or anything like that or everyone just wherever they're living needs to look up their stores and yeah honest honestly I find that, you know, your local outdoor retailer tends to have the best deals. When we moved states, we were in in Oregon where REI is really popular. And we moved to Montana where a store called Sportsman's is really popular. It's kind of interesting because REI just recently opened up here. So I got very excited and I went down, you know, oh, it's familiar. I've been going to REI for 20 years and it was very small. There was not much of a selection. I was nothing like this the store in Portland. I had many more resources and better prices at my local sportsman. So I think it's really relative to where you're living. The local stores tend to have the best deals. And then online, there's actually a website I I came across when I was looking for backpacking gear and their deals are unbelievable. It's called Moose Jaw. It's the funniest name, Moose Jaw com. Have you heard of it? Okay, this is interesting because Moose Jaw is a place in Canada, like Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. But I was like, I don't think these two things are related, but maybe. Probably not. It could be. Maybe it's a Canadian company. I've never looked. But moosejaw.com. They've got some great deals on all kinds of outdoor gear. Oh, amazing. Okay. Again, best resources. (laughs) for those people who want to buy new it seems like you still have really great suggestions for timing of sales so when should people kind of be checking out those new sales well ironically enough you know the best sales are always at the end of the season which for me has been a struggle because um I generally don't buy gear that far ahead often because my kids are growing and I don't know how much bigger they're going to be by next season. So that's a little bit tricky, you know, finding those, grabbing those deals. But that being said, this time of year is actually really good time to look because companies are getting ready to bring in their, their new gear for next season and they want to get rid of all their stock from last year. Um, so usually they'll cut those prices pretty good. And, you know, what's wrong with buying last year's set of skis instead of this year's it's going to save you 150 dollars. i'm all for it absolutely well and maybe worst case scenario is if your kid isn't in that size then you can sell it secondhand and you probably right will get all the money there back. you go yeah send it around your friend group we've done that before too you know i had um two other families and we would we just kind of like, hey, do you have a size such and such ski boot this year? Or, hey, I'm looking for this size ski next season. And we just kind of passed the equipment around when you were done with it. You'd give it back to the family. That was really nice. Were you kind of part of a ski family group or are these just your friends that all 
happen to ski as well. These were just lo local friends that, you know, we lived at the base of Mount Hood. Um, and so a lot of these families worked at the ski resort. And so we just met them through there. And so we'd see them up on the ski hill and we just kind of became friends. And, you know, when, when you see other families on the hill, it's really nice to connect local families. If you can find a local family or two um, to swap gear with or meet up on the hill for a few runs, it's, it, that just makes it so much more fun. Absolutely. Is with skiing, do you find it as much if you were taking the kids out solo, like without your husband, that you want another adult with you? So you ask someone else to come with their friends or do you not feel that way? I know sometimes that's the case with hiking. It's like the more right. people, the better for safety. But do you find that at all or no? For me personally, I was okay with taking them up on my own, but I had been a ski instructor for years already and knew the mountain really well. My kids also would come to work with me sometimes. So they even knew, you know, some of the local lift operators and they knew the managers in the lodge. So I had a real sense of security taking my kids up on my own. I think that's unique. I think most parents do enjoy having another family with them just just for backup, you know, in case you need to run one of them in to go to the bathroom and you don't want to take all their gear off and take them all in together. That was the biggest challenge, having all three kids on the hill alone. But, you know, the other bonus is the reason I liked to meet up with friends was less for safety and more for just entertainment and motivation. You know, I found that my kids always had fun skiing, but they had a lot more fun when they had a friend to show a new run to or someone to chase through the trees. Yes, so true motivation for sure. And I'm curious, right. unrelated to what we were just talking about, but did you ever ski while baby wearing or while pregnant or is there periods of time you took off? Yeah. So I did take two winters off one winter because my middle son was born December 3rd. Okay. So good I thought reason. that was a good season <laughs> to take off. <laughs> the other one, actually, I didn't really take the winter off. I took it off from teaching, but we, we went skiing and yes, I did do some baby wearing. Actually one season I was teaching, I was five months pregnant and I went chasing after a little one who <laughs> she was in a class, someone else's class. And I was supervising out on the Hill and I saw her kind of running away from the group out of control. So I reached out to grab her and her momentum pulled me forward right onto my belly. And I thought this is probably a good time to start working indoors. So that was kind of the transition from being pregnant, working outside, teaching lessons and supervising to being shipped up and put behind the desk. Right. But after that, yeah. <laughs> and then after that, my third, I actually wore him while we would ski. I've got some photos of us all going down the hill together. And, you know, there's a lot of ski resorts right now that I think are starting to not allow that, which is kind of a shame because it was sure a lot of fun. But um, I was really grateful that I was able to do that. And I, you know, I'd have people ask me, or do you feel confident enough to ski with your baby on your chest? And obviously the answer was yes, or I wouldn't have done it. I don't think most parents are going to do that unless they're feeling pretty confident on their skis. If you've got the ability and you can get out with your kids, do it any way you can. Right. Yeah. For you, skiing was like walking. So you're like, of course yeah. I feel comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> really? <laughs> What do you suggest for people wanting to invest in lessons? When, how often, what, what do you find is the biggest payoff? And obviously people should be checking out Raising Little Rippers for support too. Absolutely. You know, I've got a blog called The Reasons I Think You're Your Child's Best Ski Instructor. Actually, that's probably not the name. What is the name? Five Reasons You Are Your Child's Best Ski Instructor. Can't remember the name now, but- I'll link, link that one is... up too. <laughs> Thank you. 
the belief is that I do believe parents are their children's best instructor. And that's not to say that you shouldn't sign your child up for lessons, but it is to say that you know your child better than anyone. So, you know, some kids really desire lessons. They're excited about being part of a group. They see the lessons out on the hill and they want to participate. Some kids really want nothing to do with it. Maybe they want to kind of just explore skiing on their own, or maybe they just really want to spend time on the weekend with their parents. You know, they're tired of being away from them and they're looking at time to connect. So I think from the get-go, especially when you're starting with the really littlest of littles, you don't need to pop them right into a lesson. If you've been on the hill and you're comfortable skiing, you know, even strong beginner to intermediate skills, you've got a lot to share and a lot to teach just in those first couple days. So I always recommend to parents that they kind of start out just spending time together and playing on the hill. And maybe that's just a day on the magic carpet, or maybe that's, you know, setting a goal to to get to the chairlift. But at some point, if you feel that your child needs a lesson to progress, or maybe they're just really super motivated to try a lesson, I always recommend programs. Now, every ski school will call it something different, but a program is basically a multi-week lesson. And the reason I suggest that is because something that a lot of parents don't understand is that when you sign your child up for a lesson and you drop them off and they go out on the hill with their instructor, that instructor spends a good hour of that lesson, getting to know all the students, their personalities, their learning styles, their motivation, where they're at in their progression, before they can really get into teaching and progressing the kids on the hill. When you do a multi-week program, you have the same instructor week after week. So that instructor gets to know your child on the first day. And then every time they meet with that instructor after that, they pick up right where they left off. So I find that you see a lot more progression and it's a much better investment of your time and money if you can have your child meet with the same instructor multiple times. That can go for private lessons too. If you're more into private lessons, you can request the same instructor um, generally again and again. They might not always be available, so I always recommend you request them ahead of time, um, you know, not the day of. But keeping that consistency is really what I see is the best investment of your money and investment of your child's time. As a music teacher, I can fully see that because I think the relationship is so important. So for it's so important. Well, and especially on a ski hill where you're in a risky environment where, you know, your child needs to learn to trust the person that's giving them direction. So that's another part of that first hour in a lesson. You know, sometimes you have kids that are rip roaring, ready to go. And then you'll have kids that are very, very hesitant. And you spend a lot of time just building up that rapport. So it's always a shame when you finally build that rapport and then they leave, you know, it's like you really want to spend more time with them and see them again. Um, So yeah, those multi-week programs are really beneficial for everyone. Do you have any like quick tips for kids or even adults that are more timid on the ski hill? Anything to comfort that fear? (laughs) Yeah, I think it's all about gaining self-control, a feeling of control. You know, when we're fearful, it's because we feel out of control or we feel like we don't have the skills and the tools we need to to be safe, to have fun. And, you know, skiing's all about having fun. So when I have someone who's really hesitant, be it a child or an adult, um, we slow everything down and we just take our time. You know, sometimes building confidence is something as simple as um, learning how to put the 
the ski, you know, click your boot into the ski um, independently, take it off all on your own. That alone can build some confidence. So with someone who's more hesitant, I just don't rush it, um, especially with little kids. You know, maybe you do one run down the hill um, or you just put the skis on and you kind of shuffle across the hill to the lodge and then you take them off and you build a snowman or throw some snowballs. You know, it, it's a long term game and the goal is to make it fun and want to come back the next day. Absolutely. Okay, let's go back to the budget. Yes. <laughs> What's the best route to take for tickets? Is it best for people to choose one ski hill and get season passes rather than jumping hill to hill? Or what would you re recommend for that? You know, in the past, that would have been such a simple question, but things are really changing. You know, we have all these multi-resort passes now. Different ski resorts offer partnerships with other ski resorts. So I usually recommend buying a season pass, um, but I would always usually recommend buying that at your local hill. Nowadays, I suggest you look into some of these other passes. Um, there's the Epic Pass, there's the Mountain Collective, which is a bunch of smaller resorts. Um, there's a couple other ones. And I do find that depending on how you're gonna go about skiing, some of them could be beneficial. So if you're the type of family that's going to travel to several different resorts, um, and maybe you don't live close to a specific ski hill, I would get one of those multi-resort passes and then kind of plan your season around that. Um, but if you live even within an hour of a local ski hill, I think one of your best investments is a local season pass, because if you go enough times and that's always the key, right? Like I, I tend to sit down and I kind of add it up. Okay. Like how much is it per day? If we go this many days per season and, you know, if you go enough, it can be as cheap as, you know, $10 per person per day to go up there and, and ski on the hill. So it kind of depends on where you live and how often you're going to go. But I do think that buying day passes is by far the most expensive way to ski these days because you really don't get any discount. Some, some resorts will offer a discount if you buy them ahead of time online. Okay. Yeah, and when you're saying that too, I was thinking about how we talk about cost per wear at Kids Who Explore all the time. So yeah. Yeah. even for ski gear, if you're going enough and you're using it enough times, then it all pays off. As in why you know I say there's definitely things you don't want to skimp on because you want your kids to be comfortable and and you know if you don't have the proper gear things can be difficult and uncomfortable so that part is really worth the investment you just got to be creative and find ways to use it reuse it resell it I have a local resale store and I take our old gear in there at the end of every season and usually by next season I have around a $250 credit um, and they'll either give that to me in cash and I can take it to buy new gear or I can just swap it for gear that they have there that we need. Incredible. Yeah, that's a perfect suggestion. I also love the bonus tips you shared on that first blog post I talked about at the beginning of the episode. You talk about putting using chains on your tires instead of winter tires, filling mm -hmm. up at less expensive gas stations, which is beyond key right now <laughs> with gas right. stations, and okay. packing your own food. So is there anything else you wanted to share on those topics or anything else? Well, you know, as far as packing your own food goes, um, that was a hard one for my kids when they were little, because you go up there and you like the, the food just smells good. And there's all these like treats, you know, and, and it's, it's like, 
kind of forbidden fruit, you know, they can't touch it. Um, but I found that it was just routine for us to pack a lunch. And so I would motivate the kids sometimes by, hey, you know, we're going up there today and I have a little extra cash. Let's get a hot cocoa or let's buy something from the vending machine. You know, it's like every once in a while we'd kind of just stretch it and that would be that extra treat. So they didn't feel like it was never, ever can I have anything in the lodge because that's just not a whole lot of fun. But knowing that they could have a little treat every once in a while, not only was it kind of a good motivator, I could use it for like, hey, um, we need to squeeze in one more run. Hey, one more run, and then we'll be able to ski over to the lodge and get that treat. <laughs> or also, it just made them feel like packing a lunch wasn't such a big deal. You know, like, oh, we can pack a lunch, but we're still going to have a little bit of fun and get a treat while we're up there. Right, that bonus oh. treat. That's so nice. What was the other things you were talking about? Uh, you talked about filling up at less expensive gas stations and then the chains on your tires. I thought that one was really interesting. Okay. So the chains, that one is one that intimidates a lot of people. I remember when I started carrying chains instead of studded tires, my mom was really worried about me because I was going up to the mountain alone with the kids and I had to get out on the side of the road and put on these chains. But in this day and age, the chains are super easy, like really easy. And so my recommendation with the chains is to carry them and have them. You don't always have to put them on, put them on when you need to, but be sure to put them on at home first. Don't just go up to the mountain to have or never put them on your car. I always recommend you put them on at home first because they can be a little tricky to figure out. But once you figure them out, they they're so quick and easy to put on and take off that I just got to the point where I was like, well, it's silly to invest in studded tires, which not only are super expensive, but we're ruining the road. Yeah. And so do you, you, you never buy winter tires and you always, do you have all season or just summer tires or what do you use your chains on? Yeah, we have all season tires. And to be honest, since we've lived in Montana, we haven't used our chains once. I think, you know, it's driving in the snow. Um, it's, it's a learned skill. And once you gain the confidence to drive in the snow, it really is a lot easier, I think, than, than most people realize. Um, there are certain conditions that are very tricky. You know, wet, sloppy, slushy snow and ice are dangerous under all conditions. But packed snow that's on the ground, unless you're driving way too fast or braking way too hard, um, you can drive very safely on packed snow. So we've just found that unless the snow is really, really deep, we have, we haven't needed chains and here in Montana, they actually keep the roads very well groomed. So that's helpful. But, um, so I carry chains, but I rarely ever use them. And some places like Les Schwab, I don't know if they're still doing it. They used to, you could buy the chains at the beginning of the season. And if you didn't use them at the end of the season, you could return them and get your money back. Okay. Amazing. Such good thoughts. Thank you. Is there anything else we missed today that you wanted to touch on? I did want to talk a little about ski poles because mm. I get this question a lot. Should I buy my child ski poles? And my answer, I guess this is kind of my answer to a lot of the questions. It depends on the child. <laughs> I'm a very child centered coach, if you haven't noticed. So, you know, I don't start children off with ski poles ever. Um, it's not necessary and it ten they tend to get in the way. We want to teach kids to really focus on using their skis to control their speed, to stop, to make turns. 
Um, and when we have poles in our hands, we tend to stick them in the snow, try to use them as brakes. Um, sometimes they just get in the way and fling out. So I don't start kids with poles, but eventually they're going to need them and or want them. So I always say, if your child can stop in control and turn to control their speed. So they're using their turns to actually control their speed instead of just a wedge, then they're ready for poles, but you still wanna check in with them. Are they desiring poles? Do they have a curiosity about poles? Would they like to try poles? And if the answer is yes, go ahead and, and get started and give them a try. If they have no interest or they're saying no thank you, then I would go ahead and hold off and wait because the truth is the best skiers in the world can ski without their poles. And if you've ever not tried putting your poles aside and skiing without them, I actually highly recommend it for parents. It's really good practice because it will force you to stay centered and really focus on using your edges. So that's my tips on poles. You know, they're not a necessity, but when you do feel it's time to introduce them, you want to make sure that they're the right length. And that's really easy. You take the pole, you turn it upside down, and you want to place the child's hand right underneath the basket. And when it sits on the ground and their hand is under the basket, their elbow should be at a 90 degree angle. So if that's at a 90 degree angle, then you know the pole is going to be the right length in the snow. Okay. Okay. So our challenge for everyone, once they listen to this podcast, is put the poles away. <laughs> that's right. Put the poles away. Take a if few runs without it. Kids will get a kick out of it. Yes. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. Where can people find you to follow along? Can you remind us all that? Yes, at my website, which is RaisingLittleRippers.com. And then I'm very active on Instagram at RaisingLittleRippers.com. And you can also find me on Facebook at RaisingLittleRippers. Oh, sorry, not .com. <laughs> RaisingLittleRippers, yes, perfect. Everything. I will link all those up as well as all the blog posts we talked about today. And if people haven't listened to our last episode, they need to go back because that one was full of amazing information and also so many great blog posts linked up. Last time Thank I you. asked my final question. So let's switch it up today and do our fire round. I'm really excited to oh. hear your answers because you're more of a winter lover. So <laughs> some of these might change. Okay. So sunrise or sunset, what would you choose? Ooh, sunset. Mm, me too. <laughs> I love to rise early, but it's not easy for me. So sunset. Right. And do you do sunset skiing too? Yeah, we do just some night skiing up here. This resort, Big Mountain Whitefish, doesn't have a lot of night skiing runs, but they did just open up a few trees. They cut out a few trees and opened up another hill. So we go probably twice a year. We'll stay and go to do some night skiing. Oh, so lovely. Okay, flowers or trees? Oh, trees. Although I do love the wildflowers out here in Montana. Montana grows everything big. I'm telling you, like bouquets of wildflowers, but I could not live without trees. I've thought about that, you know, moving somewhere drier where there's not an abundance of trees would be really hard for me. And it's just so nice to drive through, even like when you're heading to the mountains and you're just surrounded oh, so trees. That's one of my And favorites. skiing the trees, skiing the trees is like nothing else. To me, skiing the trees is an entertainment that I can't find anywhere else. And it's kind of funny because it can be dangerous. You know, tree wells, especially here in Montana, are pretty big. And so someone asked me once, well, why don't you just stay on the groomed runs? And I said, that's like taking a kid to a candy store and telling them they yeah. can't have any candy. <laughs> like, You're like, don't take my candy away from me. <laughs> 
Right. Come on, trees. They're the candy. Okay. Hiking or surfing? What would you choose? Well, I would say hiking because I hike pretty much every day. But honestly, just the other day, I was telling my husband I'd like to learn to surf. We're not big water people. We're we're more frozen water people. <laughs> right. I know. See, people tend to be one or the other mostly, you know? <laughs> okay. Green grass or autumn leaves? Autumn leaves. Yes. You know, green. I love spring. It's so beautiful, but for such a short time. And then around here, we have the tamarack trees, the larch trees. So they turn gold and yellow and lose their needles. And that, the whole forest just turns gold. It's beautiful. You know, Adrian and I came to Montana one summer, but we need to go during like, well, we could do some larch hikes because that is her absolute favorite. <laughs> oh, she'd love it. Like the end of September, early October. Yes. Okay. We have to add that to our adventure list too. <laughs> Bucket list. <laughs> Drive or fly? Drive. I'm a big road tripper. Matter of fact, last time I got on a plane, I thought, why am I doing this again? <laughs> I could there's drive it so much easier. <laughs> I know. Well, you know, there's just something about it. It does something to my brain to get on a plane and fly only a couple hours and be hundreds of miles away. It doesn't feel real to me. There's something about being in a car and driving and, and watching the road go by that just feels more real to me. That's such a nice perspective on it. Beach or mountains I think I know the answer (laughs) mountains (laughs) and lastly new destination or repeat destination oh new all the way I'm not a routine person I get really bored doing the same things matter of fact I'm surprised we've been in whitefish for six years I'm already planning on our next move (laughs) that was gonna be my next question do you have another move in mind we do you know we're looking at a little town called Pagosa Springs in Colorado and a ski resort called Wolf Creek I found the ski resort first. It's everything I love in a ski resort, including, you know, the direction the mountain faces and the amount of snow they get every year and the sunshine sounds wonderful. So we're kind of really looking in that direction, but I don't think we'll head down there before having some sort of big adventure along the way. Maybe a bike ride across the country. I'm not sure. We're we're really brainstorming right now. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to see what you do. Well, and because you have homeschooled your kids always, it has moves been even easier because you just keep the same curriculum or whatever you chose to do for school and you just carry it with you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually I would say moving enhanced our homeschooling, road tripping enhanced our homeschooling because we, we do a lot of hands-on learning. So, you know, being in new environments, I was always I got really good at, at looking up the local library. I tell you, you can tell a lot about a town by going to the library and reading the community board. <laughs> and you find a lot of great resources, you know, free programs and museums and great places to go learn about, you know, natural history. And so I think traveling and being on the road really does enhance homeschooling, just kind of makes it easier. Yeah. And it but makes then again, I'm not a routine awesome. person, like I right. said. So. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Coach Nelly, for coaching all of us. This has been fabulous, these two episodes, and we're just going to need more at some point. <laughs> we're just going to have to have Well, more. I've really enjoyed talking with you. I really love diving into this stuff, and I feel like I could just talk and talk and talk forever. So if there's anything else you guys want to chat about, please let okay, me know. Thank you. I will just listen, listen, listen. Okay, we had to come back on because you have a fun tip about packing lists. Yes, I was saying, so people are always asking me for a packing list, and 
I was coming up with a packing list for moms. And then I thought, well, that's not very fair to the moms. We need to help the kids become a little more independent and help mom pack. So I came up with a song and rhyme that will help your kids memorize what they need to pack for the help. I'll go ahead and sing it for you. Now, I don't have a beautiful singing voice, so please bear with me. Okay, here we go. Ski socks, face layer, warm snow bibs, long ski jacket to cover my ribs, baklava and gloves to keep me warm, extra layer for a storm. And I won't forget because I am wise, helmet for head and goggles for eyes. Do you like it? Incredible. I love it. But truly, kids are going to remember it that way. They'll be singing it as they're packing their bags. Right? Like, what a fun way to help get them involved. Because I know as a mom, the more my kids could do to help us get out the door, the easier it was on me, right? Like, the more motivating it was for me. Because it's a lot to get a whole family packed up and onto the hill. It really is. I don't think us moms get enough credit. Amen. Okay, you're going to record that so people can download it and listen to it again and again, right? So where should they go for that? So if you want to go to my website and actually, you know what, I'll just give you a link directly to my newsletter, sign up. Perfect. And then anyone who signs up for my newsletter, I'll send both the MP4 recording and an actual visual checklist for your child, a PDF to your email. Fantastic. Amazing. You coach Nelly. Thanks for adventuring with us. Please subscribe and share your love by reviewing our podcast with five stars and follow us over at Kids Who Explore on Instagram and all other social media platforms. This podcast is produced by KP Media Productions.